Let's stand together and read God's word from Leviticus chapter 20, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also say to the sons of Israel, Any man from the sons of Israel or from the aliens sojourning in Israel who gives any of his offspring to Moloch shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will also set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given some of his offspring to Moloch so as to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. If the people of the land, however, should ever disregard that man when he gives any of his offspring to Moloch, so as not to put him to death, then I myself will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut off from among their people both him and all those who play the harlot after him by playing the harlot after Moloch. As for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists, to play the harlot after them. I will also set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. You shall consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my statutes and practice them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now, Lord, open our hearts, I pray, as we hear your word, that we may hear it not with natural ears, but with spiritual ears, that we may hear and receive not what the preacher is going to say, so much as what the Spirit is going to say in the midst of the preaching. Challenge us with your word. More importantly, transform us by your word. I lift up other life-giving churches to you, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. And I pray that you will draw them to a place of repentance. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. Reach them, O Lord. Convict them with the Holy Spirit. Draw them to your side. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. If I were to ask for your favorite book of the Bible, I, I suspect there would be very few who would place Leviticus at the top of their list. Yet it is the book of Leviticus where God reveals how his people are supposed to walk and worship after they have been redeemed. As the book of Leviticus opens, Israel has been delivered from the bondage and slavery of Egypt, which is a type or symbol of sin. They have been given healing from the bitter wounds of the past at Marah. They have gained victory over the flesh that wars against the spirit in the defeat of Amalek. While they are still in the wilderness, making their way to Canaan, 
The Lord gives them instruction about how they are to conduct themselves as his people once they enter the land of promise. God's plan for his people is for them to be like he is. They are to be holy. That word holy is used 77 times and implied over 150 times in this book of Leviticus. When we talk about something being made holy, what we're really talking about is something being sanctified. That word simply means being set apart, consecrated for a specific use and purpose. And the Bible has a lot to say about this kind of thing. For example, under the old covenant, God set apart and sanctified certain times and seasons as holy days, which, by the way, is where we get our word holiday. God sanctified the Sabbath. He set it apart from all other days. The Sabbath was to be different, a different day from every other day of the week. It was holy unto the Lord. God set apart certain times of the year for special feasts of remembrance and also for special fasts as well. These times were sanctified from all other times of the year as times for the people of God to come together in holy convocation and remember the goodness of God and seek his face. The year of Jubilee was a special time set apart by God. It was ushered in with a great blowing of the trumpet. It was a time of proclaiming a new beginning of redemption and liberty for all the people. Well, not only were times and seasons sanctified, but so were certain places. The camp of Israel was sanctified as holy. So was the hill of Zion and the city of Jerusalem. Likewise, the altar of bronze in the tabernacle worship and the golden altar of incense. The tabernacle itself was set apart and declared holy unto the Lord. Later, the temple was sanctified as holy to the Lord. In fact, the word for sanctuary is very much like this word sanctify. And it tells us the sanctuary is a place set apart for the special presence and worship of Jehovah. Times and seasons were sanctified. Places were sanctified. We also have recorded in the Bible certain people being set apart and consecrated for special service. The firstborn of Israel was set apart. The tribe of Levi was set apart as holy to the Lord. The nation of Israel was sanctified or set apart from all other nations of the earth. The prophet Jeremiah was sanctified to the service of the Lord as a prophet to the nations. Upon the head of the high priest, as the crowning mark of his high office, was a perpetual sign of him having been set apart to the Lord. It was an engraved plate worn over his forehead as part of his high priestly garment when he went in to minister before the Lord. On this plate were engraved the words, holiness to the Lord." The common thread in all the things that are sanctified or set apart as holy is their contact with God. The Sabbath day was holy because God rested in it. 
The mountain of the Lord of hosts was to be called the holy mount because the presence of the Lord would dwell there. The sanctuary itself was so named because it was the dwelling place of the Lord among his people. In the midst of all these things that are sanctified and set apart as holy unto the Lord, there is one revelation we dare not miss. Holiness isn't just a condition or a state of being. Holiness is a person. This is the identity of holiness. The revelation of Holy Scripture is that the Lord himself is the Holy One. He is set apart from and above everything and everyone else in the universe. The Bible goes to great lengths to proclaim and then underscore this truth. God is holy. Holiness is not just a behavior of God. Holiness is the very nature of God. Holiness is his identity. This is the vision of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and 3. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high, lofty, and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is the meaning of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. This is the message through the prophet in Hosea 11 and 9. For I am God and not man, the holy one in your midst. In the great Song of Triumph, sung by Moses and the children of Israel after their passage through the Red Sea, which is recorded in Exodus chapter 15, and which is also that song of Moses and of the Lamb, which is sung over those who gained the victory over the beast and over his image in Revelation 15:3. The greatest tribute offered in worship unto God is in the words, Who is like unto you, O God, glorious in holiness? Above every other attribute, above every other characteristic, the continuing revelation God gives of himself to his people is that he is holy. All the special feast days, all the elaborate rituals of the sacrifice, all the dietary laws, all the ceremonial washing and cleansing, all the awe-inspiring manifestations connected with the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, all of it was designed to indelibly impress upon the people of God this one central truth, God is holy. This is what is behind the very first commandment, the one that says, you shall have no other gods before me. Only the Lord God is to be worshiped because only he is holy. And it, the reason it is important for you to have no confusion about this, I, this issue of the identity of holiness is because God's great desire is for you to be restored to the image in which he originally created you. And according to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, you are created in his very own image. 
God is in the business of restoring you to the original design specification of the manufacturer. That means because he created you to be like him, then because he is holy, then you were created to be holy. Now, not only, I'm just going to kind of walk you through this today. Are y'all okay with that? You know, because... Not only is it God's desire for you to be holy, it is his demand. So what we have here is not just the identity of holiness, we also have the insistence of holiness. A holy God demands holiness in those who are his people. This is the message from our text in Leviticus 20, verse 7. You shall consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. This is the message of 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is the message of Ephesians 4 and 24. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. This is the message of 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the message of 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Now remember... The idea of sanctification and the idea of holiness carries with it the idea of being set apart and consecrated for a specific use and purpose. So what the Bible would say to you in absolutely unmistakable terms is this, you be holy, you be consecrated to the use and purpose of God, you be set apart for his service. This is what the Lord is communicating to his people in our text. He tells them, when you get into the promised land, you're going to be surrounded by heathen, pagan people. You're going to be in the midst of a culture that doesn't honor him as the only true God. You're going to be in the midst of a society that is debased and profane. You're going into a land of people who are ruled by their appetites. Yeah, it sounds an awful lot like the present world in which we live, doesn't it? See, this book of Leviticus is one long book in which God gives instructions to his people about how they are to live. And when you read it, you find it's the same thing he would say to you and to me in the day in which we live. He says to us today, you are not like the prevailing culture. You're a different breed. You have a different nature. You are a holy people. You're different from the folk around you. You're set apart. You are our people upon whom I have set my own name and I've called for my very own purpose. So don't get trapped into following the customs of those who deny my name and my power. Don't get caught up in the materialistic trappings of this world in which we live. Don't get bogged down in thinking and acting like the world around you. See, you have to remember you are in this world, but you are not of this world. This world isn't your home. You're a pilgrim and a stranger here. You aren't settled down. You're not going to be comfortable here because you're not really 
really part of this world. You have my mark upon you. You're called with a high and a holy calling. You're called to be like me. So you be holy because I am holy. And without holiness, you're not going to see me and you're not going to abide in my presence. Without holiness, you're not going to experience the divine life I've prepared for you. Well, I wasn't intending to get all wound up about that, but here I am, so it's too late now. Are, are, are you still with me? First, there is the identity of holiness. God is holy. Then there is the insistence of holiness. God demands you be holy. Then there's a third truth I want you to see. I want you to see the impossibility of holiness. As much as God demands your holiness, and as much as you desire to follow his instructions and be holy, no matter how hard you try, you can't do it. This is the lesson we learn from our text. In these verses, God sets forth a set of prohibitions for Israel about the pagan practices occurring in Canaan. He talks, for example, about a very common practice in that culture of sacrificing children. He also talks about the very common practice in the Canaanite culture of consulting mediums and persons involved in the occult. And God says, when you follow the prevailing accepted social practices of the culture in which you live, those things are detestable to me. Those things that are violating my law... They are detestable to me, and they make you unholy. He says, every time you follow these heathen, pagan practices, you are defiling my sanctuary and profaning my holy name. Now, God takes this idea of holiness very seriously. Think about that for a moment. Every time you buy into the prevailing mindset of the culture, you are profaning the holy name of God. Every time you follow the accepted social custom that is in opposition to the will and the purpose of God, you are profaning the holy name of God. Every time you excuse or justify what God says is harmful you are profaning the holy name of God. I probably won't be very popular by the time I get to the end of this message today, but I'm not preaching for popularity. Every time you indulge the appetites for the satisfaction of the temporal in disregard for the eternal... You are profaning the holy name of God. Every time you pattern your worship after that which is convenient rather than what is in obedience, and every time you try to placate or compromise with the world system, you are defiling the sanctuary of God and profaning his holy name. Don't take what is set apart as holy to the Lord and use it for another purpose. 
Don't take the talent given you by God and squander it. Don't use it just so you can gain fame or fortune. It's been entrusted to you, so it is incumbent upon you to develop it and then to use it to glorify him. Let me just go ahead and walk on a little deeper into this swamp. (laughs) Don't take the tithe, which the Bible says is holy to the Lord, and use it for your own purposes. It's in your hands, but it isn't your tithe. It belongs to the Lord. It is holy to him. You be careful what you do with your life that has been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Because when you take something that bears the mark of God and his holiness upon it, and you use that for another purpose, what you're really doing is profaning it. Through the revelation of his word, God says, don't you dare practice the things the pagans and the heathen practice. You be different. You you be holy. But, But then notice this. Even when Israel followed the rules, even when Israel put aside all the evil practices, even when Israel did all the right things, Israel wasn't able to make herself holy. Now, granted, it wasn't for lack of trying. The Pharisees taught that holiness was related to following all the rules and regulations set up by the Jewish leaders. In other words, you you became holy by following all the thousand plus laws in the Torah. They equated holiness with rules about diet, observing festivals, holy days, and sexual abstinence. Early church history has a whole lot of distorted views of holiness. Clement of Alexandria equated holiness with masculine reason. He taught that holiness suffered with contact with women. Therefore, he preached celibacy was the path to holiness. Don't much like Clement of Alexandria. (laughs) Just saying. With the legislation of Christianity during Constantine's rise to power, many believers felt that holiness was only achieved through complete separation from the world. So they went to all sorts of extremes of asceticism to try and be holy. They would starve themselves. Some refused to bathe. Some beat themselves with whips. Some would eat no cooked food. Some took vows of silence, refusing to talk to anyone. It wasn't too difficult for those that also refused to bathe. I mean, it just... Some live like wild animals in the desert. Some locked themselves in caves or in vaults. Some took vows of poverty. Later, when the Roman church emerged, they saw holiness through the various lenses of beauty and sacrifice. This led to the construction of great cathedrals, eloquent liturgy, burning incense, large choirs and elaborate vestments, Acts of penance, it led to the Crusades, pilgrimages to the Holy Land, doing services in Latin. And we look at those lists of things and we may scoff, but the reality is 
we've developed our own codes and rules by which we tend to try and measure holiness. If you're very loud when you pray, you're holy. If you are an emotional worshiper, you are holy. If you have mystical visions, you are holy. I'm about to get myself in real trouble here, but I'm just going to go ahead because I got a spirit of don't care that's come on me right now. I'm really tired of people coming up to me all the time saying, the Lord told me. The Lord told me this, the Lord told me that, the Lord told me that. Really? I don't know. God, maybe I'm just not holy because he's not talking to me like that. Years ago, I had a, I should go there. I'm going, I'll go there anyway. Years ago, I had somebody come in and tell me the Lord told them they were supposed to come to my church and be a part of the church. It, not, it, it was not this church. It was somewhere far removed from here. So don't try to figure out who it was, all right? I know there's people going, hmm, wonder who that was. Wasn't even in this city. Came to me and said, the Lord told me to come to your church. Okay, I saw them for about two weeks and then I did not see them again. About a year went by. And this person, I, at that time, I happened to be, um, I was an advisor for, for a parachurch group. And in order to be a leader in that parachurch group, you had to go to the advisors and get permission, and, and they had to affirm your leadership in that group. Well, this lady was up for being the president of this group. So she set up an appointment to come in and see me. And so we talked, and I was very cordial. I know some of you don't believe that, but I was. <laughs> I know how to do that. Don't shake your head in disbelief. <laughs> I, I was very nice, was very pleasant, until... She made the mistake of saying, Pastor John, you know, I really wasn't looking for this, but I feel like the Lord has spoken to me that I'm supposed to be the president of this group. I said, is that so? I said, you know, the only problem I got with that is the last time you told me the Lord said something to you, you said that the Lord told you to come and be a part of this church and I haven't seen you in a year. Now, either you didn't hear from God or you're being disobedient. I don't know which one it is. Now, we got to, you know, quite honestly, I didn't care if she served as the president of that or not. I just had to make the point that not everything you say, this is the Lord, is the Lord. Make sure that it is God speaking. Be very careful about the Lord told me. You know, some people, if they have these words from the Lord, they're holy. Or if they have mystical visions, they're holy. If you can speak in tongues, you're holy. 
If you fall out when you're prayed for, you're holy. If you go to another country and do mission work, you're holy. If you read so many Bible chapters a day, you're holy. Some would say if you're materially prosperous, you are holy. In old church, it was if you dress plainly and simply, you are holy. If you avoid certain places of entertainment, you are holy. Listen, while we're doing all sorts of things to be holy, the Bible is very clear. There is nothing we can do to manufacture holiness. God said to Israel, be holy. God says to you today, be holy. The problem is Israel wasn't capable of being holy and neither are you capable of being holy. Everything within the fallen state rebels against the thought of being holy and all the rules keeping can't begin to make you holy. It couldn't for Israel and you needn't think for one moment it will suffice for you. This is what Paul is writing so strong about in Colossians chapter two, verses 20 through 23. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are, what's this? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. We've seen the identity of holiness, God is holy. The insistence of holiness, he demands we be holy. The impossibility of holiness, we cannot be holy. And this would leave us in a bad situation were it not for one additional truth, the impartation of holiness. Watch this. Holiness doesn't come from performance. Holiness comes from the presence of God. No matter how long you've been saved, you have still not earned your way to holiness. Holiness comes from God when we surrender our life to Jesus as our Savior and Lord. We are only able to enter the presence of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He is the one who sanctifies, the one who touches us, and by his touch, we are made holy. This is the meaning of Hebrews 10 and 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, in our text, God told Israel what to do. He told them what to avoid, how to behave. Then he gave a divine revelation of himself in verse eight. It's a Hebrew name. And the name is Jehovah Makedesh. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The way you become holy is not by the keeping of rules. It is by the touch of God. You are made holy by an impartation of his holiness to your life. It is God's presence and God's touch on your life that convicts 
and convinces. It is his touch that cleanses and purifies. It is his touch that makes whole. It is his touch that imparts holiness to our life. If we are to be holy, we must be touched by God and marked with his holiness. And this, I'm almost done. Somebody say, praise the Lord. This is the lesson we learned from the calling of Moses. Remember, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household, but he had to run for his life after he murdered an Egyptian. The next time we see Moses, he's tending the sheep of his father-in-law. He's a broken man. All his dreams are shattered. But God wasn't finished with Moses. God still had him in mind as the deliverer of his chosen people. So one day, Moses was walking along, just minding his own business, when he came to a bush that was burning, but was not consumed. Out of the bush, God spoke to him and instructed him to remove his shoes because the ground on which he was standing was holy ground. I don't know about you. I don't know how you read the Bible, but when I read it, I've often wondered how many times in the 40 years Moses was tending those sheep, he passed by that same bush. How many times in 40 years did he walk on that same ground, but there was nothing to indicate anything out of the ordinary? Why, why just yesterday he walked by, he was in the same place, but there was no fire, there was no voice, and he certainly wasn't having to remove his sandals. But now today, the Lord speaks and tells him the ground on which he is standing is holy. What happened? I'll tell you. The thing that changed everything, the bush, the desert sand, the very atmosphere was the presence of God. Suddenly, it wasn't just a bush in the desert. It was a place of divine encounter. Suddenly, it wasn't just desert sand. It was holy ground. Everything changed. Everything was different. Everything around it was holy when it was touched by the divine presence of the Almighty. Holiness has to do with the presence of God. Whatever he touches becomes holy. Wherever he is becomes a holy place. Anytime you come near him, when anytime you come into his presence, you're standing on holy ground. I'm telling you, your sanctification, your holiness will not come because you determine you're gonna straighten up and do right and start keeping all the rules. It will only come when you get into the presence of the Lord. It will only come when you have the touch of God on your life. It will only come when he imparts his holiness into you your life. I want to tell you, when you turn to God with singleness of heart and mind and say to him, Lord, I want to know you. In fact, I don't just want to know you, but I want only you. That's when God will show up. That's when his holiness will be divinely imparted to you. That's when the chains of bondage will be broken. That's when the liberty of the Lord will come. That's when will come the anointing that breaks every yoke. That's when you'll know the victory over all the powers of the enemy that hold sway over you you. 
I'm telling you, this is how to defeat temptation. This is how to live the overcoming life. This is how to walk in freedom. It comes when you get into his presence and he lays his hand on you through the touch of his spirit. Your holiness and your wholeness come when you are consumed by a passion and a desire to know him more than anything else in this world. That's how you will become holy. That's how you will fulfill the demand of God to be holy as he is holy. Jeremiah 29, 13 gives the pathway to this condition of holiness when the Lord speaks through the prophet and says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. If you want to be pleasing to the Lord, you must be holy. But nothing you do will make you holy. But you can get in his presence. You can come through faith in Jesus. And when he touches your life, he will impart his holiness to you. And then you will fulfill his righteous demands. You will be holy, sanctified, set apart, useful for divine purposes. Your your behavior isn't the means to holiness. Your behavior is the mark. It is the fruit. It is the product. It is the result of God's holiness imparted to your life through the work of the Holy Spirit by faith in the completed work of Jesus. Stop trying to be holy and start doing everything you can to get in and stay in the presence of the Lord. And the outflow of that will be holiness. Today, the Lord wants to mark you for holiness. He wants to lay his hand upon you. He wants you to experience his divine presence. You know, there's a reason why we sing and encourage people in worship. It's not just because we like music, but it's because we're doing everything we know how to do to try to get you into the presence of the Lord. Because it is in his presence that this righteousness, holiness begins to take place. This past Wednesday was the beginning of Lent, the season of Lent on the church calendar, where we are, where people are consecrating themselves and preparing themselves as we're moving toward Easter that Passion Week where we remember the crucifixion and the suffering, but then we also remember the glorious resurrection. All of this is, is part of that time. And, and in many traditions, in many church traditions, we, we don't practice it ourselves, but in many church traditions, it's Ash Wednesday. 
You probably out and about saw people or maybe even some people on your, in your workplace. They went early that morning and the minister took his thumb, dipped it in ashes and, and placed the sign of the cross on their forehead. And they wore that on Ash Wednesday all day. It was, it was a mark. It was setting the mark upon that person. It was a way of outwardly showing this person is setting themselves apart, consecrated to the Lord. I don't know that you have to do it that way, but I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. But the mark of God is not just ashes on a forehead. It's, it's a mark on your heart. It's, 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 it's placed there by, the, by faith in Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit and somehow mysteriously and miraculously you get marked for God. And everywhere you go, there's something different about you. You have a different attitude than the people around you. And can I just back up long enough to say, if you don't have a different attitude from the people around you, maybe you want to check yourself. Why don't you, you, you need to do some soul searching there. Pastor Larry, come play and get me stopped here. I'm, I'm play in E flat, because that's where I'm going to be in a minute. God wants to mark you in a new and a fresh way for his holy purposes so that everywhere you go, you, you, aren't, a ther, you aren't a thermometer. You aren't just taking the temperature of the atmosphere around you. You're a thermostat. You're regulating the temperature around you. That's what God wants to do through you. And he'll do it when you desire him. I don't know about you. You know, I, most of you know, I, I've been in this all my life. I was going to church nine months before I was born. And I grew up with a, for lack of a better term, a holiness code. You know, in, in the church I grew up, I used to say it this way, if it was fun, we couldn't do it because it was sin. And we had to figure some things out. That it wasn't about me looking a certain way or behaving a certain way. It was about what was God doing in my heart and then the behavior became an outgrowth of what God was doing. Because I don't know about you, the, I, I know I'm talking to some of you that grew up in similar situations. You know, we had some folks that kept all the rules and they were mean as snakes. They were not people I wanted to be around. They, they did not have the fruit of the spirit, which is love and joy and peace. And pa patience, oh no. 
goodness, gentleness, kindness. No, 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 no. Am I, t- am I telling the truth? Come on, somebody, help me out here. I feel like I'm tanking this sermon right now, but because we kept, we kept the rules, but it hadn't happened inside in our heart. What I've discovered is that if you start with the heart issue, that's why he tells us in the Old Testament, he wants to give us a new heart. That's what it means to be born again. It's not a new improved you, it's a brand new you. And then the behavior flows out of the relationship. Somebody asked me about this this morning. They said, you know, they were talking to somebody and this person had said, well, that means off of what I preached last Sunday and I guess off of what I'm preaching this Sunday. They said, well, you know, that just means I can do whatever I want to and everything will be fine. Well, if you've taken it to that extreme, then you've missed the whole point. Because here's what I know. I know that when you get in the presence of the Lord and when God really touches your heart, first of all, he takes a lot of that want to out. And now I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what he wants me to do. And now when I'm wanting to do what he wants me to do, he's going to lead me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Stand, stand. If you'll stand, I'll quit talking. If some of y'all had known that 20 minutes ago, you'd have stood up then. I want you to get in his presence because I want you to have his mark on your life. Because it's in the presence of Jehovah God Almighty Prince of Peace Troubles vanish Hearts are mended In the presence Of the King I want you to sing it again and Come on, get in His presence In the presence Of Jehovah God Almighty Prince of Peace Troubles vanish Hearts are mended In the presence Of the standing on holy ground and I know that there 
there are angels all around. Let us praise Jesus now. We are standing in His presence on holy ground. Bow with me for a moment, please. Now, Lord, nothing I can say is going to have any effect without your touch, your holy anointing upon it. So I pray that you will take these words that have been spoken and somehow that you will illuminate them to our understanding and to our spirit that revelation will come to us and an intense desire will be planted within us to be like you have called us to be that we will not settle for anything less than your touch upon our lives so that we are holy as you have called us to be, holy like you are holy. We cannot accomplish that, Lord. We fail and falter so often. So help us. Impart to us your divine nature, new and fresh today. Mark us with your touch upon our lives. Mark us for holiness. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayer.